Chapter Twelve of Odd. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maggie Travers. Odd by Amy Lefeuve. Chapter Twelve. Uncle Harry's Friend. There's a pretty welcome for a tired man who wants his dinner. Betty was standing before her uncle with a white little face and determined, set mouth, and Nurse was releasing the other little prisoners and bringing them down to their uncle. Captain Stewart's friend was lounging on the low window seat of the best parlor, looking on with an amused eye. "'Nurse thinks you ought to have a good whipping,' continued Captain Stewart, stroking his long, fair mustache very gravely, though there was a twinkle in his blue eyes. "'I think we must have a court-martial first. Were you trying to kill yourself, Betty?' "'I was trying to save myself from a fire.' I mean, a fire that might be. The sentence was begun bravely, but the little lips began to quiver. Shaken by her fall, afraid of her uncle's anger, and uncomfortable by the presence of a stranger, she burst into tears. And then Captain Stewart took her on his knee and drew out his large handkerchief. There, little woman, rest your head against my shoulder and cry away. It will do you good. I was beginning to think you a little stoic. The door opened and the other children appeared, with very large eyes and solemn faces. They kissed their uncle in a subdued fashion, and then Molly said, Nurse told us Betty had fallen. Is she hurt? Is her legs broken? demanded the twins. I knew she couldn't do it. I told her she couldn't. In an instant, Betty's face appeared from behind the handkerchief. I did do it. I did. And I could do it again tomorrow. So there, Douglas. Then Uncle Harry laughed outright, after which he pulled himself up and said as sternly as he could, "'Now look here, youngsters. I'm not good at scolding, as you know, but you're all old enough to know that it is not true pluck to go crawling round roofs like cats, and running the risk of breaking your necks and damaging your limbs for the rest of your lives. Now then, who is to blame? Speak up like little Britons, and don't be ashamed of owning up and telling the truth about it.' There was a pause. Douglas got very red in the face, but blurted out, "'I dared her to do it!' "'And I said I thought she could do it,' said Molly, with tearful eyes. "'But I did ask her to come back at the corner.' "'And I dared her to go on,' added Douglas. "'And Bobby and me clapped our hands at her,' put in Billy eagerly, feeling anxious to share in the glory of the escapade. "'Do you think it a brave thing to urge another on to danger, when, perhaps, you would be afraid of taking their place yourself?' It was Douglas who was addressed, and he hung his head in shame. "'But he was just getting out of the window to follow her where Nurse came up,' said Molly, in defense of her favorite brother. "'I didn't know boys were in the habit of following girls,' remarked Captain Stewart dryly. "'I think Doughty Douglas must have another name. Listen, my boy, and remember this to the end of your life. There were two young fellows came out to join our battalion in Egypt. We were ordered out one morning on a reconnaissance.' and both these youngsters came with us. They were strong, fresh-faced young fellows, one especially. He was the heir to a big property at home, and had left his widow mother to come and earn a name for himself. I can see him now, with his sparkling eyes and merry laugh, as he rode on just in front of me with his chum. I won't give you children details, but we had a sharp bit of fighting that morning, and bullets were flying pretty freely. At the finish, when returning, having dispersed our enemy, we came across another party of them entrenched on a height. 
Orders were given to fire lying down, as they were skilled marksmen and had the advantage of the position. Now then, whispered one of these young fellows to the other, make your name, scale the hillside and storm their fort. I would if I had my orders to, was the quick retort. We are like rabbits in the underwood, the youngster went on. Do those skulking fellows think we're afraid of showing ourselves? A good British cheer and a sight of our rifles would soon send them to the right about. The poor old major is dead beat and wants a nap, or he wouldn't give such an order. Show yourself, Castleton. Let them have a sight of your six-foot-six. What? Afraid! In an instant Johnny Castleton stood up in full strength of his manhood, and the next moment his brains were scattered by a bullet, his dead body falling into the arms of the friend who was the cause of his death. Do you think he died the death of a hero, Betty? How do you think his friend felt, Douglas, when he had to write home and tell the widowed mother her boy would never come back to her? Do you know, the folly of his act so weighed upon his mind that he left the army, and when I last heard of him his friends were afraid that his reason was given way. There, now, I've made your faces solemn enough to satisfy nurse, and you will never dare your sisters to do foolhardy exploits again, will you, my boy? And you will never listen to him if he does, girls? Now my lecture is ended, and you can tell nurse to forgive you all. Where is Mrs. Giles? I wonder if she could put up my friend for a night or two. Captain Stewart put Betty down from his knee and rose to his feet. He so seldom lectured the children that his words left a deep impression, and none of them ever forgot the lesson imprinted on their minds. They were rather subdued for the rest of the day, and not altogether pleased at the advent of Major St. Clair. "'We shan't get Uncle Harry a bit to ourselves,' grumbled Douglas, as the children were playing in the garden whilst the gentlemen were at dinner. "'He'll be going out fishing with that other fellow every day, and he's going to stay the whole week with him.' "'I like him, rather,' said Molly. "'He is something like Mr. Roper.' "'He has nice sad eyes,' put in Betty, "'and he likes Prince.' But before long Major St. Clair was taken into favor. He was a tall, dark man, with rather a stern look, until he smiled, and then the children knew they need not be afraid, for he had more smiles than frowns for them during his stay. Douglas, to his great delight, was allowed to go fishing with them. "'You see,' he confided to his sisters, "'they couldn't get on very well without me, as I'm learning to put their bait on for them, and I help to unpack their luncheon basket, and very often I lie down on the bank and tell them stories. They like that very much.' One afternoon they were all in the orchard under some shady trees. The gentlemen were smoking and reading the papers, the children playing a little way off. Presently Betty came sauntering up to her uncle, Prince, close at her heels. "'We're going for a walk,' she said. "'I suppose you wouldn't like to come with us?' None of the little stewards ever did anything without first inviting their uncle to participate in it. "'No, I wouldn't,' he said, leaning lazily back in his wicker chair and surveying the little figure before him with amused eyes. "'Where are you bound? Your independence of thought and action will be sadly crippled when you get back to town. Does Nurse let you all scour the country at your own free will?' "'What does scour mean?' asked Betty with knitted brows. "'Does it mean scrub? For I'm sure the country doesn't want cleaning.' Then. Not liking the laugh following her words, she went on hastily. Nurse doesn't ask where I go, so I don't tell her. But I go to church when I don't go to Mr. Russell. And what do you do there? 
"'Well,' said Betty, looking very steadily at her uncle, "'if you and Major St. Clair won't say anything about it, I'll tell you.' "'Wild horses won't tear it from me,' said the Major. "'I go to take some flowers to a little dead girl there. "'She likes to smell them and hold them in her hands "'instead of the dead lily she has got. "'And then I've got a friend who meets me there. "'A lady she is, and she sings the most beautiful songs on the organ. "'They make me cry sometimes.' and the church is so dark and still and cool. It's a beautiful place. "'Will you let me come with you?' asked Major St. Clair, rising as he spoke. "'It is an enchanting program,' murmured Uncle Harry. "'Tears amongst the dead. I warn you, my dear fellow, the church is nearly a mile away.' "'I want to stretch my legs,' was the response. Betty set off radiant, with much self-importance. "'You see,' she said, looking up at the major, through her long lashes as she trotted along at his side. I don't always ask people to come with me. Prince and I are quite enough, but you're a visitor, and so is Uncle Harry. You won't talk or make a noise in church, will you? And will you help me get some honeysuckle from the hedge as we go along? Violet will like to smell it, or at least I make believe she will. The walk seemed a short one to the major. Betty entertained him so well. When they reached the church, she took him straight to the monument she loved so much, and was pleased with his genuine admiration of it. She placed the honeysuckle reverentially in the clasped hands of the little figure, which she stooped down to kiss as usual, and then pointed to the stained window above. "'Don't you like it?' she asked in a solemn whisper. "'And do you see the text? Mr. Russell put it there. I was asking him the other day about it. I asked him if he was like one of the disciples that wanted to keep the children away from Jesus, and if he put it up for that, and he said yes, he did want to forbid Violet to go to Jesus when he called her. I expect Violet is very glad she wasn't kept back, don't you think so? I expect so, the Major responded gravely. She wasn't any bigger than me, continued Betty, standing before the window with clasped hands and that upward dreamy look that always came upon her sweet little face when talking about serious things. But she's got through tribulation safely. Mr. Russell told me how she bore all the pain of her illness for a whole year without a grumble, and pain and suffering is tribulation, isn't it? What do you know about tribulation? How often had Betty been asked that question? I know a great deal about it, she said, looking at the Major very earnestly, and though I haven't had it, I'm expecting to. Have you had it? No, I don't know that I have, was the amused reply. Then, a shadow crossing his face, he added, Trouble and I are not strangers. I think I've had my share. And a big trouble is tribulation, isn't it? And it's on the way to heaven. Then the Major smiled his sweet smile. That's it, Betty, on the way to heaven. We must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. And have you had a big trouble? persisted the child. Yes, I have, the Major said slowly. A very big trouble, Betty. At one time of my life, it would have overwhelmed me. But I've learned to take things differently now. You'll hear my friend sing about tribulation, perhaps, if I ask her to. She will be here directly. Where will you sit? I like to sit on the chancel step, and Prince sits in my lap. I will find a seat for myself. Perhaps I shall slip away into the sunshine again. 
and Major St. Clair sauntered round the church, looking at the old tablets until he heard the door open, and then he slipped into his seat at the side of the church behind an old stone pillar. Betty seated herself on the chancel steps after her greetings with her friend were over. The picture she made as she sat there was long riveted on Major St. Clair's memory. The golden sunshine streaming in, the old carved pews in the background, and the dainty little white figure hugging her spaniel in her arms would have charmed an artist's eye. But it was not this sight that made the strong man suddenly turn pale and clutch the back of the seat in front of him with nervous, trembling hands. His startled gaze was no longer upon Betty, but upon the slight, graceful figure that was now taking her seat at the organ. Betty's clear, childish voice was heard. Please sing about tribulation. I've brought someone with me who would like to hear it. He's listening at the back of the church. Nesta gave a hasty look round, but seeing no one, turned again to the organ, and in a minute her beautiful voice rose in the triumphant strains of the Song of the Redeemed. Major St. Clair folded his arms and stood up behind his pillar. He seemed strangely moved, and as the last notes died away, he hastily quitted the church. End of chapter 12 Recording by Maggie Travers in Casilla, Mississippi